This is Podco Media Networks. Welcome to Citizen CEO. I'm super excited today as we launch the very first episode of the podcast. I'm hoping that I'll be spending a lot of time with you all out there listening in the future. And so I thought it would be helpful to give you a little insight into who I am, what my vision is for this podcast, and the impact that I'm hoping for. So I've invited my co-founder and COO, Biffrey Braxton, on today to turn the tables and interview me. Welcome, Biffrey. Thank you so much. I'm actually, I've been really excited about the opportunity to get to interview you. Awesome. Yeah. So... Let's start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your vision for the podcast. Well, I am a mom. I'm a wife. I'm an entrepreneur, a co-founder, a CEO. I'm really interested in educating and inspiring other women entrepreneurs and helping on their journey in any way possible. So my hope for this podcast is that we will be a source of information, a source of insight and inspiration for fellow female business owners. I just rattled off a bunch of titles a moment ago. All those titles really represent different responsibilities and different parts of me. Balancing all of that and making it work can be quite a daunting task. So I'm hoping that the expertise, the stories, and the lessons learned shared by the experts that I'll be featuring will help our listeners to navigate their professional and personal lives. I read a quote a couple of years ago that fundamentally changed who I am today. And that quote was something that the growth of the entrepreneur is directly tied to the growth of the company. And I really believe that to be true. I believe in order to grow as an entrepreneur or leader authentically, And let me be specific about that, authentically grow. You cannot separate that process from the person experiencing it. So it's my hope that my conversations with all of the experts will inform and inspire women holistically considering the person and the profession that they're in. Yeah. What kind of experts do you intend to feature who are going to, you know, inspire as you as you're hoping? So I've spent most of my career serving the federal government, so I'll be talking about the business of working with the government from the inside and from the outside. Each week, I'll be talking to experts in technology, business development, cybersecurity, you name it, hoping to bring some insight about the ins and outs of working with the government. They will be rich conversations from the industry's brightest minds. Now, while the government is the industry that we're focusing on, I think our listeners will often find that our experts' insights will be applicable to any industry. Yeah, that's great. So you were telling us about some of those expert insights. Tell me more about your expertise and your company, our company, Applied Mm -hmm. Development. I love what we do at Applied Development. We empower people of all abilities to share their brilliance. We help folks to communicate, be it sign language interpretation for the deaf or hard of hearing, reader services for those that are blind or low vision, or providing advocacy and outreach for those communities. We also help to make sure that your messaging is communicated and received as intended through services like 508 compliance, strategic communications, technical writing, graphic design, agencies like the VA, various components of the Department of Defense and and DISA trust us every day to lead the way to better tomorrows. Today, we're currently in uh, 14 federal agencies as a prime contractor in 24 states. And I love what we do because it gives us the privilege of doing well while doing good. 
Yeah, that's something that I love about this work too. So tell me how you went from zero to 14 agencies, 24 states. What really, let's start with what inspired you to start this business. And then also, how do you maintain that inspiration? So I spent several years working in the government contracting space prior to starting Applied Development. I primarily worked for several of the large consulting firms out there. I was always on client site. I very rarely worked in corporate headquarters. And so I often found myself feeling a real sense of disconnection from my employer. Mm -hmm. And the fallout from that was you know, often being passed over for promotions and such because I wasn't seen. Mm-hmm. So I always felt like this this cog in this massive corporate wheel. And as you know, mm-hmm. very well, all too well, you are often my sounding board for those frustrations yeah. and complaints and, and everything else. And how long did it take for you to convince me to start Applied Development? How uh, long do you think it was? I think it took a, I think it took a few years but you had to get to that uh, that place where you were you were ready and not before. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that took about about three years for my discomfort to begin to outweigh my fear and to make the decision to launch Applied Development. And so in 2011, we, we did. We made that decision. And I determined a path forward for starting the business that I was really comfortable with, which for me meant minimizing any financial risk. And the way that we did that was by contracting myself out while the business was gaining corporate experience. And we were working on attaining a lot of those government certifications that we have today. Now, I really like what you said. I don't want to I don't want to gloss over it. You said that it took a while for your discomfort to outweigh your fear. And it's not that you were just automatically comfortable it's that you got to a place where... I couldn't take it anymore. I had to get out. Yeah. I had to get out. It was really beginning to impact how I showed up on client site every day and the results that I was delivering for my customer. And I began to feel like I was doing a disservice to myself and to them by continuing along that path when I knew it was not where my heart was. Eliminating that fear or minimizing it, and then also recognizing that you didn't want other people to feel like you did, like a cog in the wheel, was excellent inspiration. How do you, how do you maintain that inspiration? Well, I've, I've realized, especially over the past couple of years, that if I don't take care of myself first, I have less to give. I start to feel a little burnout, and that that passion and and drive starts to waver a little bit. So over the past years, I've made sure to start every morning with time for myself. And every morning is different. It doesn't always look the same. It almost always consists of some sort of meditation or, you know, some element of being consciously still (laughs) and quieting my mind. Mm -hmm. I also read a lot in the morning. I listen to, to podcasts. Sometimes they're very silly podcasts. Sometimes they're very serious business-oriented ones. Whatever I feel my soul needs at the moment, mm-hmm. if I need a little bit of levity, I might listen to something super silly. And 
if I feel like I need improvement in a certain area of the business, I might listen to podcasts about that instead. And then often, not not often enough, honestly, but often it also includes moving, you know, making sure that I do something in the morning to, to get rid of that energy that in me often manifests itself as anxiety. Yeah. So that sounds like Miracle Morning, right? A little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's there's several theories out there for formulas about how to set yourself up for the best day. And I think through trial and error, you just kind of figure out what works best for you and, and then go from there. So is that something you might recommend or advise to other people that they find their own routine for taking care of themselves? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The same way that I'm a big advocate of charting your own course in business. I think in terms of self-care, you have to follow a similar path and figure out and learn what works for you and what feeds you. Right. What other advice would you have for anybody thinking of starting their own business? Because it sounds like it was a bit of a path for you just to get there. And I recall, you know, it it seems like a a thing that would only benefit you when, you know, when when I was trying to convince you. (laughs) But, you know, obviously there were some other things that would keep you from doing it. So what other advice would you have for people who might be in that same place? I think it's really important when you're starting out to do two things. To one, know yourself and to know your market. Knowing yourself, your your strengths, your weaknesses, what you like to do, what you don't like to do, can go a really long way in helping you to manage all that's required when you're starting a business such as ours. Mm-hmm. For me, Especially in the early years, I often found that navigating the terrain between being strategic and tactical was really challenging. Mm -hmm. And as a small business owner, you are often required to. You don't have the luxury of having a corporate infrastructure to be able to purely focus on things like vision and strategy. You have to get your hands dirty and in every single cookie jar. It can be tough being in the weeds and at 10,000 feet at the same time. Exactly. And you often hear this business advice from folks, I don't know how many programs I've been to, where we've been consistently advised to focus on working on their business and not in the business, Right. right? Which is so much easier said than done. And when you hear people say that, what they're essentially saying is they're, they're talking about strategy, right? Working on the business is, is strategy versus tactics, which is working in the business or, or operations, as people like to call it. And that's often very challenging as the skill set that's required to create an innovative growth strategy and it's the skill set that's required to streamline and optimize operations mm-hmm. are fundamentally different. Each requires operating within the organization from a different lens. And that's where knowing yourself comes in because by knowing yourself, you know what works best for you and how to leverage that within your organization to be able to toggle between those lenses effectively based on the resources that you have. Right. Yeah. So you uh, you got to know yourself and it sounds like you got to know when to switch between strategy and tactics and then when to switch back. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How does that play into knowing your market, which was the other thing that you mentioned? So I think this is a little unique to GovCon. When I talk to other contractors in the government space and we talk about market research, 
I don't often hear of other firms really leveraging market research to its fullest potential and power. The conversation very quickly moves to opportunity identification. Mm -hmm. Specific opportunities or or RFPs that are out there publicly, like on FBO or some of the other sites that we use Mm -hmm. to find out about business or what's coming up in a particular agency's forecast. Mm -hmm. And there's what I found is that there's really not enough emphasis on the why we choose the agencies we do and the why we choose the opportunities that we do. And the understanding of the answers to those questions is really where market research comes into play. Mm -hmm. They should be driving those decisions. But I think a lot of us, especially the smaller businesses, we're so busy trying to seize opportunity that we're not often making sure that it's the right opportunity for us and our business and where we're where we're headed. Yeah, it took us a long time to get to a a place of data driven decision making. Absolutely. What do you think is the was the impetus for really committing to that change? I think part of it is having learned the lesson about market research, right? Having been in a position where we were doing, just as I stated a moment ago, we were scouring the websites like FBO for opportunities that look like they should belong to us. And then going after them, but not doing any of the research behind it to understand the government spending trends, to understand the marketplace at all. And that led us to a very tricky spot in terms of our business where, you know, we were in a position where we were facing layoffs and we really had to look at what we were doing that the based on the resources that we we had and how we were leveraging them. And that market research was really critical in the pivot that took place that got us to where we are today. Right. Tell us more about that. The It sounds like it really was a comeback moment. And I recall that it didn't feel that way at the moment. <laughs> it certainly did not. It felt like failure. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, give us some more about that, because I think that everyone who's ever started a business has or will encounter some time where they they feel like it's just not going to work. So, you know, give us a comeback moment that you're proud of. I think it would be that. I mean, those early years were pretty tough at times. When we started out as a business, we actually started out focused, as you well remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the IT market. And, and the, for good reason. For, yeah, I mean, both of our backgrounds were squarely rooted in, in the IT sector. So it was only fitting that that is where we would start. But what we found was that it was overflowing with small businesses and it was really, really difficult to gain traction. And we finally started to get a few little contracts in in 2015 and were thrilled and thought that we, you know, we had finally made it and it was only onward and upward and made some investments because we were convinced that, you know, we were now on this upward trajectory. And we're really excited about the growth in 2016. And it turned out that 2016 was and is to date the worst year Mm -hmm. for our company. Right. Yeah. So those investments didn't really pan out, did they? No, they didn't. And we found ourselves in a position where we, like I said earlier, were facing layoffs. So we knew that we couldn't really continue down that path and, and survive. And that's where market research came into play for us. We objectively examined 
how we were leveraging the resources that we had, what was working, what wasn't working. We looked at our business development process and we decided to make some changes. Mm-hmm. There was, at the time, a tiny piece of work providing sign language interpretation that had increased in value about 800% over the course of the year. Right. And we recognized that it was our highest margin, also lowest overhead cost. And so we decided to devote some effort to really examining that aspect of the business. And at the time, we were thinking it was the way to get through the lean times. But with that market research, we realized that there was so much opportunity out there. And we really liked the idea of being able to be of service in this way. Like you said, doing well while doing good. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And felt really good about that impact to the community that we're supporting as well. And that that pivot was really crucial to surviving those lean times and to our success now. I mean, this service offering now represents about 40% of our total revenues. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, we made the Inc. 5000 list for the first time. And we were just named one of the top 50 fastest growing businesses in the Baltimore region by the Baltimore Business Journal. Okay, what number was it? Four. All right. I'm pretty happy with that number. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So I would definitely, I consider that a comeback for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now that there's been a, a major comeback, what's next for Applied Development? And more importantly, maybe what's what's next for you? So for AD, you know, we're going to continue to focus on our mission of empowering people of all abilities to share their brilliance. That's at the heart of what we do, and we will continue to focus on providing that service. We do want to focus in particular around expanding our footprint so that we can become the largest woman-owned and service-disabled-owned provider of those services to the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. That's our goal over the next few years. That's that's a great goal for the company. I think that we can get there. Absolutely. So what's next for you while we're getting there for Applied Development? (laughs) So for me, a longer term goal is to self-fund my own venture capital firm. Mm -hmm. I really want to do that within the next three to five years Mm -hmm. with a focus in particular on mentorship and bridging the funding gap for women of color and women veterans in particular. Right. You really already have committed to mentorship. I've seen, I don't know how many, how many companies would you say that you've already mentored women entrepreneurs just in the time that we've had this had applied development going? I think within the past few years, probably about 10, mm-hmm. 10 businesses that we've supported and at some stage in their growth. And I'm always, it's interesting because I get so excited when we take on a new mentee and they start coming into the offices as we are, you know, pulling the curtain back and allowing them to really see how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. You get accustomed to that interaction and, and being able to see the impact. And then slowly but surely, those visits start to get less and less because they're experiencing their own success and they're starting to win contracts and get work. And then they fly the coop. (laughs) And we still, I mean, we still mentor from afar. We do conference calls and video conferencing and that sort of stuff. But it's a little bittersweet for me when, when that happens, which is, I think, why we continue to provide mentorship for others, it's been such a critical part of our 
um, success that it's incredibly important for me you mean to do that. Receiving mentorship, receiving mentor. Yes, yes. So, right, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, because of that, I want to put skin in the game uh, while we're providing that mentorship. I want to invest in other firms mm-hmm. to ensure that they have the opportunities that we've had, and to help them understand how to build, how to how to measure, how to learn, when to pivot, how to chart their own course. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much over the past several years that I really feel like it's my duty to share and and help other women. All right. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And I think you'll be able to, you know, really be proud of that for even after Applied Development isn't, you know, isn't here anymore. Should that happen in the future? You know, I hope so. All right. I hope so. I look forward to that. It's been really fantastic talking to you about this. It's a special thing for me because we're often, like you said earlier, either, you know, very strategic or very tactical. So taking a moment to reflect. It's so valuable. Isn't it? It's super valuable. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks to you all for listening and for joining me for this first episode of Citizen CEO. I hope you'll tune in to hear more insights and inspo from other women business owners. 